0: Hey fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy at Floors to Your Home, right Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just $0.80 a square foot. 80 cents a square foot that's incredible that's three rooms of hardwood laminate or waterproof starting under 350 dollars at floors to your home and you can get it right now we have over 1200 styles in stock floors to your home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in indiana I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and
1: Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floor's your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Big Ten Network. You watched him last night, which was a fun-as-hell game to watch in Champaign between Nebraska and Illinois. Got a great breakdown before, during, and after. Mike DeCoursey was part of the crew. He joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hello, Mike. How are you? MV, how are you? What would the Big Ten be without the Missouri Valley Conference? <laughs>
2: well, I, don't not, I, I don't understand the correlation
1: there. What? Oh, Lance Jones, uh, Rink oh, Mask,
3: Marcus yeah, Damask.
1: It a, so, yeah. It theater, I'm all, yes. hey, oh, oh, keep you. in mind here, Mike, I'm always trying to squeeze the Missouri Valley Conference and my Indiana State team into any conversation I can. So, what would the Big Ten be like without the influence of the Valley?
2: Well, I'm telling you, those two guys, and the weird thing about that is you've got one of the best players on Illinois and one of the best players on Purdue, two guys who, if they remain healthy through the regular season, will definitely be all league, whether it's first or second team or whatever, still remains to be seen, but they'll be all league without a doubt, and their team wasn't great last year. Right. At Southern Illinois, they were not—I mean, not even sure they were particularly good. Uh, It's—it's hard to fathom because those two players are terrific.
1: Yeah, and I mean, really, when I talk about these three, and you're looking at you know three of the better teams we have seen certainly over the course of this Big Ten campaign. And without any of these three, I think Mass came from Bradley. I remember watching him. I think last year, but without any right. of these three, I mean, really, Fred Hoiberg's team, you know, Brad Underwood, certainly Matt Painter's team looked drastically different without their influences.
2: Absolutely, and I, you know, I think that. Um Without Lance, I mean Purdue's still making the tournament, right. and uh, and they would probably still be a one seed. But you look at what Lance is capable of doing, and they're not. They wouldn't be the one overall. They wouldn't be a team that you'd say, yeah, this time it could be different. Uh, it, it'll be it would probably would be different anyway. i are mean, not going to go lose to a sixteen again. But it, but this time it could be different. Different, and he's a huge part of the reason for that because. He gives them a level of dynamism that, uh, that that last year's team did not have. He gives them experience in the backcourt that last year's team did not have. Uh, he, i I when, I when you look at their at their three point shooting, they're one of the best three point shooting teams in the country statistically. But then you look, okay, who do you trust in March to make those big shots? And I I worried about Lance through November and December because the numbers weren't great. I think he was shooting down and. The thirty-two, thirty-three range from three-point from three-point, and I, I was talking to Raphael Davis, uh, my terrific p- co-partner along with John Beeline on Big Ten basketball and beyond. And I said to him, I said, "Like, who do you trust?" And he said, "Lance." And I said, "But look at his numbers." And he said, "Yeah, but look lately." So I did, and since January one, when Big Ten play resumed he's shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. So the tougher the competition in large part, I mean, obviously they played a great non-conference too, but now it's every night you're playing somebody – that's tough, and he is shooting at the highest level you could possibly ask him to do.
1: He is Mike DeCoursey, the Big Ten Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline, and I would add to, I don't know how much of a relationship you can make between now and last year and that, that first game exit in the tournament in Columbus, but he's a dude that is shooting better, as you accurately state. He is unafraid of the situation, whereas against Fairleigh Dickinson last year, you get into the final 10 or so minutes, eight or so minutes of that game, you had guys running from the basketball. He does not look to me like a dude that's ever in his life going to run for the basketball.
2: No, I don't think he will. I, I don't think they'll encounter that situation in particular again. It's just this team, is, this team is better. You see progression from Fletcher Lawyer, uh absolutely uh, around uh, the uh, entire roster braden smith is spectacular and a year ago this was when fletcher and braden really started to to wear down yeah. and and braden who had been so brilliant in the first 3 months of the season was still fine but he wasn't this and and fletcher until that last game i thought one of the missed opportunities in the uh, in the game against FDU was that he looked like he started to have a little bit of spark back in that game. He made some shots and he wasn't getting the ball. The Shots were going up from other directions that weren't on that night as effective as he was. But for the most part in, in February and early March, he was struggling, uh, just didn't look fresh. And I don't think you're going to see that. Now those guys have had a full offseason of, of weight and conditioning at the college level. It makes a huge difference. And then you add in a guy like Lance, and it, it really does look like a team. Like, I'm not predicting a national championship for them, uh, but I think they can be in it. And I, I, the one thing I will predict is that they're not losing to a double-digit seed in the first round this time. I feel very confident about that.
1: So Mike DeCoursey, who was with us, give me a difference or two between National Player of the Year Zach Eady a year ago and what is, I think, going to be, again, back-to-back the first time since Ralph Sampson in the 80s, National Player of the Year Zach Eady this year. Give me a difference or two that you have in mind.
2: Yeah, I think uh, he is much more active and mobile. It's harder to strand him Defensively than it was a year ago. Teams would try to get him out of the post because they could they could go by him, and it's harder now. He moves really well in space. That's one of the reasons why the NBA is starting to talk about him as a first round pick. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni, who I've known for 20 years and who does a really great job scouring the planet for basketball talent for ESPN, projected him in in his mock lottery. Earlier this, earlier last month, I should say, uh, now that we're into February, and and I I did not see that coming. But he's talking to agents and NBA people all the time, and so that's coming from somebody reputable. That he's not going to put himself out there, and his reputation as a draft analyst, uh, but on just his opinion that it could work. I mean, he's talking to people, and they're telling him that he he's a different player now.
1: So Mike DeCourse, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline with us. I, all right, I want to shift gears. I started with the winning and now to the losing. <laughs> um, this who's your team, I know that we didn't have, you know, big dreams. There were big hopes there always will be from that fan base, but no big, you know, visions of greatness because of what they lost, you know, in terms of losing, especially with Jackson Davis and Hood Shafino of a year ago. But this is what you get. It, that, that game on Saturday is just one in their situation that you can't have, looking like they did in particular in that second half. Moving forward, I know Mike Woods is not going anyplace, but it's going to take a lot for him to get back in those so-called good graces with the fan base really any time further down the road.
2: Well, I mean, I will say, that, and I'm not saying that this happens, but uh, if they start out next year 10-0, people will forget about what happened this year. It's a rebuilding year. Everybody will forget about it. Uh, but it was what, – what happened on Saturday was shocking. Uh, if they had gone on the road to Penn State, uh, not a lot of people in the stands because Penn State's you know, they, they're not at, at the top of the league, and uh, they sometimes struggle to, to fill their Bryce Jordan center. So you go on the road to a place like that, and you, there's not a lot uh, in it for you because you're probably not going to, to the, the madness. and And so maybe you'd put out an effort like that, but at home – an assembly hall against a team that is near the bottom of your conference, that I, I, I never saw that coming. When they started out with, with an early lead, I thought, they're going to they're gonna blow Penn State off this floor. That, I really felt that was going to happen. And it just completely flipped. And Penn State played with verve uh, and passion and the desire that you want to see, and it wasn't met with the corresponding effort from Indiana, and I did not see that coming at all. And I I think this team needs uh, it needs a lot. It does it, it, even more than it needs talent. It needs some leadership. It needs a. Frankly, they need a Lance Jones. Uh, they, they the, the uh, Liam McNeely who's coming in next year will fill a lot of needs for them because they need to have you know more more uh, dynamism and a more scoring ability on the perimeter than they have now. But the other element of this, and this is something that I've talked about relative to Mike Woodson's approach for multiple years now. And they can't just keep pretending like Steph Curry never happened. I mean, everybody else is playing that game. And when you have maybe an elite post-scorer like Trace Jackson Davis, you can say, OK, we're still playing the old style, the, the Shaq style. You can do that if you have Trace. But there's only like one or two Traces every year. Eight or nine years now. It's like there just aren't very many guys that know how to do that stuff. And even if you do have him, which they did a year ago, you're still better if you have two or three guys who can pop in threes because it give that it gives that guy more space to operate. So uh, they need to recruit shooters, and they need to when they have them, as they did a year ago with Miller cop they need to take full advantage. They did not with Miller a year ago when you had that great post scoring uh, that that. You got out of Trace. You still didn't take advantage of having a forty-five percent three-point shooter on your squad. He, I think he shot a hundred and between one hundred and twenty and one hundred and forty last year. And I will tell you that on most teams that have a forty-six or forty-five percent three-point shooter, who's a who's a fifth-year senior, if you have that guy, he's he's taking over two hundred. And that, that didn't happen with Miller a year ago. That they just aren't emphasizing that element of the game enough. Yeah,
1: you know, it's weird too. What has been a consistent argument uh, over the Mike Woodson tenure here so far in Bloomington is that he's too NBA oriented, you know, too asphyxiated on on coaching, you know, as he coached in the NBA and that is one aspect for whatever reason, and arguably the most important aspect that you don't fully embrace. That is, I think, what a lot of people, IU fans in general, do question.
2: But what what I don't understand about that is, like, it's not like he was only a coach in the NBA up until 2010. Right. Um, he coached in the NBA as recently as five years ago. And the the whole step thing had already happened. So I don't know that... I know that there are things he does with some of his substitutions and things like that, that can be traced to the NBA, but the NBA had changed while he was working in it. And he was on teams that had to deal with it, either with their own approach or with coping with every time you played the Warriors or those who played like them. So I don't think that that's the the excuse or explanation. I just, for whatever reason, he hasn't, embrace that with, with, with the Hoosiers program, and some of it is personnel. I mean, this team doesn't shoot the basketball well. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't recruit it enough in the offseason. They, they, knowing that they were le- le- losing Miller, they needed to go out and get somebody who they could count on to make shots at a, 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 and, and make them immediately. I know they were involved with a high school prospect who was a big-time shooter uh, that they didn't get, but that player's not playing now. Um, I I don't think that he was ready for D one. I don't think he would have been a difference here. They needed to be in the in the portal looking for uh, somebody that can that has made threes. You know, one thing I'll say, JMB, when I when I look at a transfer, when we see all these transfers, these guys moving, and I concern myself not just with the Big Ten but the whole country because of what I do for Sporting News. The first thing I look at when a perimeter player moves is what did he shoot where he was, and if he shot thirty eight or higher from three point or 37 on high attempts. If you're in that neighborhood, you're going to be, you're going to be useful at your next school. Most guys are going to shoot around the number that they shot. Uh, It's, it may dip or it may get higher, but most are going to be around that number. And so that's something that is fairly easily transferable from place to place, because you get guys that are terrific shooters at the mid-major or low major level. And all you have to do is make emphasize that to take open shots and it's still the same shot. It doesn't matter if, if it's uh, somebody from Minnesota closing out on you or somebody from Mississippi Valley state, it's still, if, if you're open, you're open. And so it translates and that's something that, Indiana in this particular offseason did not emphasize enough.
1: Mike DeCoursey's with us. Before I let you go, um, I, I do have a statement for you. For me, um, Dusty May is a high school friend of 35-plus years. Indiana State's my alma mater, and I cannot <laughs> see another first-round matchup. I know I should feel good about the Sycamores, but damn, DeCoursey, you're screwing me here. Don't
2: do Here's it. Here's the thing, J.M.V. Here's the thing you have to think about, okay? About – Fifteen years ago, there was this big kerfuffle among advocates of mid-majors. Anytime you took like a Drake and a Western Kentucky and you matched them in the first round. And my response to that was always, but that means one of them automatically has to play in the second round. So in a sense, you can't lose with that matchup.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you're right, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, they listen, both I. just go out and get wiped
2: in the first round and then you'd be 0 for 2. This way, one of them's going to win. I spe-
1: well, you know, I was talking to Dusty the other day and, you know, he's, he's winning. You know, when he wins games, they win by five and people were saying, well, they're not as good as last year because they're not blowing teams out and stuff. And that's what you deal with with a team that hit the heights in which they did last year. But I should just be happy that Indiana State is getting in. Um, that's what I need to be happy about here. So I hey, understand. Look, the
2: way they playing uh if they you know it's i think at this point if they continue with what they did on saturday uh if they continue on now bradley might be you know a handful in the end but if they can keep doing what they're doing and play in the final i think they can get in either way I, i i mean they have to keep when i say keep doing what they're doing i'm basically asking them to not lose but i i do believe that if they could do that and only lose in the final, preferably to Drake, I think they can make it.
1: Oh, that's about a sports arousal right there for me. That gets me all excited. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we're all sycamores around here. Mike DeCorsi, the Sporting News, uh, of course, with the Big Ten Network. You can see his uh, bracket forecast as well, I think, each week. Mike, I appreciate that more than you know. We'll check it again soon. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you can catch him along with our good friend Rob Blackman on the Boilermaker Radio Network and uh, called a fantastic game yesterday on the road in Madison, Wisconsin. The Boilers win over Wisconsin. And Bobby Riddell, the Bobby Buckets, mentioned, Bobby Buckets, joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, Bobby, I will say this. Um, I have called you Bobby Riddell um, instead of Bobby Riddell. I apologize for that, but re- remember I'm from southern Indiana, so that's kinda how that goes. I hope you're okay with that. So I've been correct. Hey, yes.
5: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's all good. I've gotten um I've gotten Rydell, I've gotten Riddell, I've gotten Riddle, <laughs> I've got all that stuff growing up uh over the years. So yeah. Uh Rydell works just fine. But yeah, technically it, it is Riddell, but Um, yeah happy to to come on well
1: you're going to be you're going to be buckets from here on out right being a part of the show so we're just going to go with buckets right here and I also want to give you a congratulations so a little bit about a new member to the buckets family here
5: thank you very much yeah it's been uh, a whirlwind last uh, week or so Uh, my wife and I uh, we have three older boys nine eight and six and then uh, yeah a little age gap here and then we just uh welcomed our first baby girl, Rose Riddell. So it's been uh, exciting. She's 3-0. The Boilers are 3-0 since Rose has arrived. So um, she's done a nice job so far.
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome right there, though. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic news, man. It really is. Thank and, you. Uh, basketball yeah, really lover. Fun. The basketball lover. It, the entire family love basketball as much as you do? Uh, yeah, there's a, definitely a, a
5: strong basketball love in the Riddell family. Um, as far as my kids go, definitely trying to, to grow that with them. My my youngest son is definitely the most into it and, and is a pretty big fan. He he knows a lot of the, the Big Ten rosters and is always asking about the different scores and stuff. So that's that's been fun to have him uh, gain the interest in it.
1: Would you go to Harrison
5: High School? I did. Yep, Harrison High School. When did you graduate?
1: So, yeah. What year? I
5: I graduated in 2005, and when I played, uh, it was fun because we were back in the I think it was the Hoosier Crossroads Conference. Yeah. Um, and so we played against all those indie schools: Zinesville, uh Hamlet, Southeastern, Avon, So all those fun Indianapolis schools to play against Brownsburg. I, I played against like Mark Titus, for example, at Brownsburg. <laughs> and
1: uh, you probably General worked Wright, it, you Hamlet worked his South ass Eastern. over, didn't you? You worked him yeah. out.
5: I would like to think so, but I, I'd have to check the box score on that one. Don't, don't quote me on that. Well, I mean, but, normally yeah, his box battle. score
1: comes with a lot of zeros in it. So, yeah, I would assume you probably worked him.
5: <laughs> That's right. Hopefully, we were both avoiding the trillions back in high school. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, the
1: is. before we get started on Purdue, I was going to ask you have you ever played in a pickup game um, in and around Lafayette with Mark Barnheiser or Brooks or Braxton before? Have you ever been in a pickup game with them? <laughs>
5: I haven't, but we actually, the neighborhood I live in uh, is the same neighborhood that Brooks and Braxton grew up in. Um, so I, I live very close to their dad, uh, where I believe their dad uh,
1: yes. still lives in that yep. same he house. Is, um, he is the Lafayette, head coach so. of Lafayette, Jeff Mark Barnheiser, who has been a friend of mine since 1988. So, yes. And I I just happen to think he's one of the, the better coaches I've ever been around on any level. So I've got a – and I love Braxton and Brooks, too. Brooks is having a fantastic career so far at Northwestern.
2: Man, it's it sure has been
5: fun, right, to see Brooks and, and his development at Northwestern. Uh, it, yeah, it was really cool, of course, to have a guy that talented out of Lafayette. I'm always rooting for the Lafayette guys, of course, since I grew up there. And um, so it's been fun to really watch Brooks. Flourishing with the this year is he's gotten increased opportunities starting every game and um, of course I don't like when he's playing against our boilers giving us fits but uh, outside of that it's been really fun to watch him succeed.
1: Leah's Bobby Riddell the Boilermaker Radio Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What makes this team, you can start with Lance Jones I'm sure, but what makes this team, this Boilermaker team, high level elite good this year? They were high level elite good last year but what's different about this one so far that you've seen?
5: Sure. I mean, certainly the experience level of everyone, you know, the additional years really helped. I think a lot of people forget as good as last year's team was, as far as power coverage teams go, they were the fifth youngest team. So I think that was easily forgotten, of course, because Zach and how Dominic was and just, how good those freshmen were right away and all the success we had early in the non-conference, but they were really a young team, and a lot of those guys were going through that stuff for the first time. Um, But so I think that extra year has really helped all those guys that have come back, and then, you know, you mentioned Lance Jones, of course, his uh, addition has been so massive. I mean, the guy has really plugged a lot of those missing holes on this team as far as some of the skill sets we we needed. I mean, it's crazy going into the Wisconsin game. Prior to the Wisconsin game, we had set uh, we had accomplished or achieved more fast break points already this season through 2020 through 22 games than we had the previous season through the full 35 game season. We'd already accomplished more fast break points, and Lance was leading that charge at 78 fast break points. So, clearly, just as far as like stealing easy buckets in transition, uh, Lance has made a massive, you know, addition there. And then his shot making, guy's not afraid of the moment. Uh, what I thought was really impressive about Wisconsin was pretty much every field goal attempt he made was uh, a pretty difficult shot, whether it was a tough drive or a contested you know, shot blocker or a three or a full-up jumper in somebody's face. I mean, he was really big time as far as hitting tough shots. And then I think Trey kaufman Ren, you know, his ascension, his is health, he's obviously been in the starting lineup all year. You know, Him and Mason Gillis kind of tag team in that power forward spot. And, you know, Trey was that backup center last year, kind of playing like two two to five minutes a game backing up Zach, whereas now this year he's been able to get a lot more involved. And, and him and Mason have worked really well together, whether, you know, when one guy's got it going, he'll play a little bit more, or if the other guy's got it going or kind of matchup-based, those two have really uh, been a nice duo there at that powerpoint spot.
1: Hey, Bobby, tell me somebody that you would really like to see get going right now and not to suggest that they're playing badly but just get going at a higher clip right now
5: well i mean there's there's one guy certainly i think that he just doesn't get a lot of opportunity of course because his his minutes are a little hit or miss as far as uh, off the bench and that's Camden heidi the redshirt freshman he's shooting the ball from three at a really nice percentage this year on pretty low volume but of course, his shot attempts are, are very hit or miss as far as uh, because his minutes are you know up or down, and that's kind of the way that goes when you're, you know, that eighth man or so. But I do think you know the way he shoots the rock, uh, and his ability at you know with his athleticism, his ability to guard on the other end. It's that's an area he's improving game by game with his size and athleticism. I think you know he's got a chance to be one of those really good three and D two way wings, and I think as the season goes along, as he continues to get more experience. You know, there's going to be some opportunities where we might need him to, to even play more minutes, especially if teams are maybe really selling out on Zach, uh, allowing you know open kick out threes. A guy who shoots a, a great percentage like he does, you know, could get those opportunities, especially if he's able to defend on the other end. So, I would love to see him continue to gain experience and maybe even have some games where he's able to get you know some more shots and, and hopefully knock them down because you know he is ex- an exciting player with his athleticism.
1: Uh, buckets, Bobby Riddell, from the Boilermaker Radio Networks on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He was good at this a year ago, and he's even better at it, talking about the... The pick-and-slip, you know, the pick-and-roll, whatever, with, with Zach Eady, And I'm talking about with, with Braden Smith passing it, right? I mean, his passes. And they're, they're even better right now. I mean, it's high quality. But the thing that takes him next level is the consistency now we have seen with the 15- to 7-foot jump shots when defenses sag on him or sag down to Edie. How have you seen that mature from last year to this year with Braden Smith?
5: Sure. I mean, you're definitely seeing the maturation process with him and the confidence as far as now. He's starting to see all these different ball screen coverages more and more and figuring out different ways to attack it. And I think none better as far as an example, when you look at the last two games we played, Wisconsin, they play more of that drop coverage, kind of like we saw against Arizona with Omar Ballo. Brady was so good in that game coming off those screens. And with that drop coverage, just like against, you know, Wisconsin, particularly in that first half, when they have that drop coverage, he's able to dribble into threes. And then a lot of times, like you said, that 15 to 17-foot jump shot where, where he's become super comfortable, whether that's going right or left, You know, his ability to shoot off the bounce has been such a tough thing for opposing defenses to go against if they're going to play that drop coverage and try to take away Zach's dive. Because a lot of teams, if they get out there in high hedge, like we saw the previous game, Northwestern, they do it a little bit differently. They really get that big out there, high hedge, keep two guys on, Braden Smith an extended period of time trying to make him give up the basketball but then that makes on the back end you got a smaller guy having to take on that Zach Eady role and you saw Braden Smith do a, a much better job this time handling that ball screen coverage than he did at Northwestern if he was really able to drag it out keep the ball longer and then Zach Eady was able to get a bunch of catch and dunk opportunities at the rim on those dives because of Braden's ability to kind of manipulate that ball screen coverage, and he ended up with a career-high 16 assists in that game. And so, yeah, his, his ability at that point guard position to not only facilitate but now score at a high level has made us you know, a very dangerous offensive team.
1: He is Bobby Riddell the Boilermaker Radio Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, Zach Eady, player of the week, player of the year a year ago, probably going to be player of the year again this year. Do we oftentimes – we we really don't mention enough the effect the impact he has on the defensive end, do we?
5: No, we don't. I mean, Purdue's a top twenty defensive efficiency team for ten palms, and I think the the large reason for that is, is that he just his ability to, to protect the rim, just his sheer size, right? I mean, so many opponents don't even go in there and think about attempting a shot at the rim because they just see the amount of a man that Zach Edy is down there and it deters them. So, so many teams when they play Purdue end up shooting a bunch more floaters, contested pull-ups, even difficult threes, late shot clock than a lot of other teams would, who would, you know, that they would against other teams where they might feel more comfortable attacking the rim. And so just his presence alone is huge, but I feel like he's made major strides this year, moving his feet on the perimeter, you know, late shot box stuff. We oftentimes will just switch it with Zach, and he's able to knock stuff out and really use his length and his improved foot speed on the perimeter to make things difficult. Guys will try to drive him, and you know, he's able to recover and use his length and, and block those shots when they try to finish at the rim. So he's been unbelievable defensively because you know we definitely are not you know the most elite perimeter defensive team. I did think we did a much better job at Wisconsin than we've done recently, as far as defending the three-point line and making things difficult in the perimeter. But yeah, Zach, he's an unbelievable defender and definitely does not get the credit on that end because he's just such a dominant offensive of force.
1: Well, it, it does seem too like the opposing bigs, um, and 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 Wall did it um, a couple of times. You saw it in the Northwestern game. They will they will test. To see if they can get any contact, get a foul call, but most oftentimes they just kind of run into a brick wall and have to kick it back out. And and really, you get into the interior, into the paint. Then you know the three-second violation comes into play as well. But it appears that oppositions with their bigs, not as big as Zach, they do try to test him at least at the outset of the game. It appears.
5: No, for sure. I mean, that's also one of the the perks of Zach Edy is more often than not, he if you have a, a player who's a really good interior player, Zach's size and stuff negates a lot of that effectiveness. And you will see from time to time certain you know teams try to test him a little bit. But he's, for the most part, you know, Tyler Wall did a good job one time, you know, getting Zach up off his feet a little bit and, and was able to get a foul on Zach. But for the most part, Zach's done such a good job of staying down and just utilizing his size uh, to deter – opponents from being able to finish and he's, he's so difficult to finish over even when he stays on his feet because he's so long and so big but you know Tyler Wall did have a little bit of success sometimes trying to gain some angles on him but you know Tyler Wall is one of the best in the business at, at finishing down around the, the basket with with his quickness and, and getting angles but for the most part yeah teams will try to test him early like you saw Omar Bala for Arizona really good big He tried to score a couple times against Zach with his back to the basket, and it did not go well. And then, obviously, you saw Arizona go away from that for the most part. So that's definitely one of the big assets of Zach is – Teams that have good post play, they're often not thriving. Very often against uh, Zach
1: down low. You've been around this team a lot, and Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network, is with us. And you know, I was I was talking to Matt about this in, in the first time he was on the show this year. But how quickly did you see this team end up, you know, losing any thought whatsoever? about what took place in Columbus last March. I mean, I I know that didn't have any effect on on the beginning of the season. How quickly, you know, in terms of working out in preparation for the season, did you see this group lose that thought and then concentrate and focus in on a new season this season and getting past that point?
5: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, what happened last March, you know, it's going to linger a little bit, there's no question until, you know, the team was able to get to March this year and hopefully get that monkey off their back. But uh, I think the ability for the team to have a foreign trip this summer was probably nice, just even though the competition didn't end up being great, just to, you know, be able to go over there and play some games against other teams and just play some different teams that you hadn't had a chance to do since you had lost that game in March. That was probably nice. to kind of turn the page a little bit. And then, you know, I'm sure they, obviously in practice, just, Don Lance Jones and how good he was and how much he was going to help and just the improvement of all the players coming back to and and Red had a huge summer. I think they probably also just internally were like, all right, we're a better, more experienced team. We're determined. And, you know, we're going to go into this season, you know, guns blazing kind of thing and ready to make amends for last year. So uh, this team obviously has been playing really well this year and, and clearly is, is looking to uh, make a deep run this month.
1: So, Bobby Riddell, Bobby Buckets, you can hear him on the uh, Boilermaker Radio Network. By the way, too, I, I had Matt on the show back on Thursday, and I mentioned when you and Rob were talking about what the Boilers were doing against Boo Booey, and you referenced the zone. He explained it in its entirety, but it was because of your reference of kind of a zone that perked my, my ears up in attention, so I passed it along to him last week. Well done.
5: Yeah, I mean it was it was an interesting thing that Purdue tried. You know, in at Northwestern, Northwestern kept doing uh, a like size ball screen where they would bring up like Fletcher Lawyer or Braden Smith's man and set a ball screen on on Boo Booey to get that switch because Purdue will, will switch like size ball screens and they were trying to get Lance Jones off of Boo. And you see this in the NBA all the time where like they'll bring up uh, a guy's man who they think is a poor defender to try to get the switch. Well, Northwestern was just doing that same thing and then letting Boo try to attack advantageous matchups. And we, in this particular game, we're trying to figure out, okay, what can we maybe do to try to dissuade those one-on-one isolation opportunities against those advantageous matchups? And so we decided, hey, what if we throw, you know, a little bit of a zone at him where basically we're just going to throw, try to show a bunch of bodies in a zone-like format and hope Boo gets the ball, basically just hoping that's going to get the ball out of Boo's hands, so he'll move it, and then they're going to try to match up and get back into main to mans and they unfortunately just had a little bit of, of issues matching up once Boo got rid of it. Uh, obviously, it wasn't something they had a whole lot of time to, to practice. But, um, you know, I think it only ended up being like three possessions or so. And, of course, Northwestern <laughs> stuck two threes into those three <laughs> possessions. So I'm sure Coach Trainer didn't love that little experiment on how it went. But, uh, yeah, the idea was certainly to not let Boo uh just thrive in one-on-one
1: opportunities. It's uh, Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network, known as Buckets on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Again, congratulations on the family edition, man. We'll do this again as much as you want to come on. I, you know, I go back a long way with Rob, and it's good to have you on. I really enjoy listen listening to your broadcast and your game play-by-play and analyst work. Well done.
5: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Rob's the best. He's been super fun to work with. His first year on the broadcast was my freshman year as a player, so it's been really fun to be able to work with a guy who uh, I've known for a long time and have a really good pre-existing relationship with. And uh, you know, he's made it seamless for me coming onto the broadcast team. Is uh, he? Gosh, this is our fourth year now. So.
1: Yeah. Is he? Um, is he North White's finest? Is that how you would describe him, North White's yeah. finest?
5: I think you're right. He's got it. He's got a North White's finest. <laughs> Probably one of the star alums in his life. So, yeah, the voice of the boilers.
1: All man, I appreciate that. Again, congratulations on the addition to the family. We'll do it again soon.
5: Awesome. Thanks, JB. Appreciate you having
4: me. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I- Of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, getting to know Terre Haute, Indiana, a great deal more in Vigo County. A part of the ESPN2 broadcast this past weekend, that was Indiana State over Drake at the Holman Center. And from ESPN, Kevin Lehman's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So uh, what do you think? You getting to know Terre Haute a lot more recently?
3: Well, John, it's two weeks in a row I've been there. We had the Brandon game also. Uh, The Holman Center. That place has been rocking the last two weeks. We had the Robbie Avila Goggle Day, and then they came in with the terrible towels this last Saturday. It is basketball heaven for me, and it was my birthday on the 27th for that Bradley game. I got my picture taken in front of Larry Bird statue. <laughs> Yes. Nice. Get any better than that, John. Well,
1: happy birthday to you. I, I'm an Indiana State grad. I absolutely love Indiana State. I love the basketball program. Big fan of Greg Lansing. Still good friends with Greg, and I talk to Greg as often as I can. He'd be on uh, Bobby Hurley's staff out at Arizona State, but honestly, I, I haven't seen this level um, of of interaction with the fans, of fan interest with this team. I, I really haven't. I go back to the '79 team, obviously, when I was nine, but this is about at the highest level, and it's great to see for the basketball program and for Terre Haute in general, the response and the embrace that that community, that university is getting for Josh Shirts and his basketball program right now.
3: Uh, John, that's a great point, and I think we said that on the broadcast. That the excitement has been like this since you go back to the Larry Bird era. It's been, a, and I'm, you know, Greg Lancy and I, were both Iowa guys. Yep. I've known him for a long, a long time, and I uh, still stay in touch with him also. But I tell you what, the fever in that arena the last two Saturdays I've been there has been uh, just unmatched. And, we're seeing it throughout the Valley. It's happening at other places, too. It's happened at Map Center where Drake's at. We're seeing it at Southern Illinois. We're seeing it at Bradley. It's just a resurgence of the Valley, which is, I think, amazing. A lot of people, because they lost so many good players through the transfer portal with Lance Jones, Marcus Damask, uh, Ben Tricky, Rick Mass. But this league is good, and it's been forever. And we asked Joe Linardi on that broadcast, what's it going to take back to being a multiple-bid league, which the Valley certainly has proved they belong when they get in the NCAA tournament.
1: So, Kevin Lehman with us. I brought up that very thing. Like, the Big Ten is packed full with teams at the top of the Big Ten right now that have, you know, taken the advantage of the transfer portal and uh, brought in guys. You mentioned Damask and Jones. So, what, what was going on in Carbondale a year ago? What the hell happened there?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well they were right there to the end. you remember Damask uh, I guess that was two years ago he's banged up a little bit, but, yeah. You know, another one got thrown out there, too. Remember Antonio Reeves, he's leading Kentucky in the scoring the last two years. Yep. Came out of Illinois State. You could go on and on with the uh, number of players that since the transport portal has come into vogue. The Valley has lost, but these coaches have done a great job of finding guys like Ryan Conwell, like Isaiah Swope and bringing them in seamlessly, Josh Schertz. I think you you have to give great credit, John, to what both Darren DeVries has done and Josh Schertz because they lost a lot of talent of last season's teams, and they brought in those new guys, and their culture has not missed a beat. It's been a seamless transition for both those squads and they're played at a very high level. Both those teams, and I throw Bradley in there too, they can win NCAA tournament games in March.
1: Who's the best player in the Valley right now? Is it DeVries? I mean, I know that Connor Hickman at Bradley has been really good, certainly more healthy now. Is it Avila um, right now? Is it Swope when he's knocking down threes? Who is the front runner for that right now in the Valley?
3: Yeah, that's a great question because when it comes down to it, I always start voting by who won the league. And uh, Indiana State with a two game lead here with, what, eight left. But golly, who would you go with? When I talk to coaches, you know, I'm a little coach myself, Don. The name that comes up is Julian Larry that makes this team go both at the defensive end and his ability to push the tempo the offensive end and get to the paint. You know, Josh Schurz has that same paint, the great, and he gets in the paint uh, so much. And he's drawn the top defender, offensive player on the other team. You know, he defended Tucker DeReeves most of that game. So, I don't know you go with. I think that's what makes Indiana State so good. I think if you look at NBA talent, uh, DeVries has the best chance right now at 6'7". Cade Tyson is another guy that the NBA guys like. And, of course, Malik Dia at 6'9", with his skill level, is another guy that might have an NBA chance. Uh, but it's definitely a team that's loaded, loaded with talent.
1: So Kevin Lehman did the game on ESPN2, back-to-back weekends. In fact, ESPN2 and ESPNU at the Holman Center, with Indiana State getting wins over Bradley and getting a win over Drake this past Saturday. Besides the obvious in and, and Avila and, and that of, uh, you mentioned Julian Larry, which is such a huge key. Um, what has impressed you about this Indiana State team to be as good as they have? And, and really, they've had some incredibly coachable moments. You go back to the Belmont game, first half, was a mess, and Josh Schertz called him entitled. You go back to Drake, where they had to survive you know, kind of a late-game second-half surge by Drake, much like we saw in Des Moines about a month ago. But what, what's the key to this team beyond their three-point shooting and making ability?
3: Well, and Also, look at the Bradley game. I mean, that thing, with the overtime, they, they, they could have lost that in that last possession. Bradley had the chance for six seconds to win that game. Uh, so this is a team... And Belmont, well, I thought, was a huge trap game for him, sandwiched in between Bradley and Drake. And I tell you what, in early February, it's the dog days. Uh, that's when you see the upsets. And for the Sycamores to survive that win at Belmont in Nashville, a tough place to play, that was I thought that was huge for them. Because then you're going to get focused for a Drake game. But I think the key is there's so many weapons offensively, and you have the best, most skilled center. In the country with Robbie Aguila, four assists a game. I don't know if you see those printouts we get from the Valley. It went back 27 years, excuse me, 30 years. There have been 27 centers averaged over three assists. He's averaging over four. It gives you a little, kind of like Cameron Crutwood, but Cameron Crutwood did not have the three point shot that Robbie has. That's what separates those guys. And we saw that big three hit at the. This, into the Drake game, that kind of opened up that lead for them. It's so difficult, the game plan, for a, a player that, that's that skilled at that five spot.
1: Kevin Lehman, ESPN, of course, covers the Missouri Valley. Friend of uh, our friend, Greg Lansing, who's out at Arizona State right now, and Kevin's on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You mentioned Lenardi and, you know, obviously the Mo Valley and, you know, their attempt to hopefully get it at large. I, I can't Believe it until I see it. Thus, I still will stay on the path of you got to win it to be in it. How about you?
3: No, uh, I think, and Lenardi mentioned this too that you know the best thing for the valley is Indiana State runs the table, gets a beat in the championship game, then you get two teams in. Uh, but and Drake had a great opportunity because it was a quad one game. At Indiana State, they got a quad one game next week at Bradley, but they tripped up, so I don't know if they can get their resume built up to be that large team. But here's the thing, John, that really upsets me is, if you look at the history of the Valley and the success they have had in the tournament, look at last year, Drake takes Miami down the wire. In fact, Drake's got three guys with food poisoning of the flu in that game. They led it for 36 minutes against Miami. Who would have a Final Four team? And you just go back to the history of the Valley this success they've had in first round games. I'll tell you what, if you're if you're playing Indiana State, if they win that first round game, John, you can't prepare for them in two days. They're going to be a sweet 16 team if they get through that first round.
1: Uh, and it's funny, because uh, I have a good friend I went to high school with named Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. And it was about this time last year when he started coming on the show and we started noticing what they were doing in, in South Florida, the Owls. And that's kind of how they were introduced to it, too. I mean, once you get in that tournament, I mean, it's tough to prepare for that team and their style of play, and especially the way that they're playing at that moment. Maybe not completely the same, but there are some similarities, I think, to Indiana State right now to where Florida Atlantic was this time last year.
3: I think that's a great observation, John. And here's the thing about the Valley. Uh, When you see a team two times you might see them three times in Arch Madness, and you watch them and you see what other teams in your league does to defend them, it becomes harder and harder to execute your offense and your game plan against people in the Valley because that is is one of the best scouted, best coached leagues in the country. But when you get in the NCAA tournament and it's a one-and-done deal, they haven't seen you before, that's why the Valley's had so much success. And sometimes, you know, those power conference teams look down their nose at those mid-majors and it gives you a huge advantage to get, get those wins. I think this sets up a really nice one the Sycamores. Uh, they got to finish strong, though. they got eight games to win. I know to go and they want to win a regular season title. What well, you got to go back to? Was it Royce Waltman in yep. 2001? Was that yep. the last regular season title? And 20-game schedule,
1: that is hard to do. Yeah, and that Royce Waltman season, the late Royce Waltman, um, they won a tournament game. Against Kelvin Sampson in Oklahoma that particular year too, so
3: That's right. Uh, and go. Uh, we talked a little bit about Jake Odom's was a twenty eleven team, Lansing's yep. rookie year when they yep. went to the tournament. And uh, uh, yeah, what what a great! I love watching Jake Odom play. I and mean, that guy was. Uh, he was spectacular. He yeah. was Tom Brady with a basketball.
1: Yeah, and he he was he came along at that time, and then you know it was I guess unfortunate that he was also along the same time with Van Vliet and Baker when Wichita State was still yeah. in the valley. So uh, that was that was unfortunate for a lot of ways, but highly entertaining in a lot of others too.
3: Yeah, I did a little research. Uh, the last back to back Larry Bird MVP was Doug McDermott, 2012. Yep. Uh, so Tucker DeVries got a chance to. Uh, and there's only been eight of them that have won back to back. Is when you said Ver- Fred Van Fleet, he was one that w- he won it twice, but there was a year in between that he didn't. Um, and the same thing with A.J. Green, they won it two out of three years. So Tucker has a chance to make to make some history there. And when you you saw him play, John, I mean, yeah, that's a question. He's the most skilled player in the league. Yeah, is the MVP. Uh, boy, I tell you what, I'm gonna lean somebody on that Indiana State team if they win, win this thing, especially if they win it by two games.
1: Well, you I think the Mo Valley has done a great job, and when you know you talk about teams like Wichita State and Creighton who who leave for you know greener pastures if you will, but replenishing with with Murray State, replenishing with Belmont. I mean we had Ben Shepherd on the show. Ben Shepherd's a first round pick that plays here and is getting a lot of clock as a rookie for the Pacers. I, I think oftentimes we have forgotten and now's the time I think we remember just how good the basketball level of play is in the Missouri Valley.
3: Oh, no question. I grew up with it. Uh, I got my master's degree at Drake in the 80s when Lewis Lloyd was mm. cruising the sidelines for Drake. Yep. Percy Hawkins was playing uh, Jim Les for Bradley. I just missed Bird. Wayne Krecklow is a good friend of mine. used to play pickup games with all those extra guys when I was in Des Moines. <laughs> uh, so I followed this league. I even remember Benoit Benjamin coming to Drake and getting beat by 50.
1: Willis Reed was coached. Well, I mean, then you think about Wichita, Wichita State too and, yeah. and what they had with the Xavier McDaniel and Antoine Carr and uh Sherrard. Houston, I can't Houston. Aubrey Sherrard. Houston. Aubrey Sherard, right?
3: Yeah, I remember sitting there and the old vets watched the game and they got a two three zone as like they could go from sight, they put their arms out. They could touch sideline to sideline. Davey <laughs> McDaniel was a freshman, was their center, and they had Cliff Livingston and Antoine Carr in the wings. Yeah, what that, about that lineup.
1: That um, that was a that was a badass group right there. We we, I tell you what, we'll have to do this again because we can share, um, Missouri Valley Conference stories, going back going back decades. I mean, it's enjoyable.
3: Uh, one of my favorites is you have never, uh to Pulliam. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yep,
3: I made mean it. So wh- when I was playing, uh, you know, I was still playing around Des Moines when I was there for six years at Dowling High School. So I was on rec league team with Dolph, and he was probably 45, 50 then. And one of those Drake guys would walk in the gym to play against us who just graduated. You could see the hair on the back of his neck stand up, and he would own that dude for like 10 minutes. They wouldn't get a touch or a shot. It was the old belly button defense of Maury John. Unbelievable. I'll never forget what he would do to those poor kids. And he was 45 or 50. He would own them for like 10 or 12 minutes.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny, too. My uh, my senior year in high school, Bill Hahn was the head coach of my high school, and he was one of the members of uh, a vaunted, I think, of the 60s or maybe even late 50s, Drake 5. He went to Drake. Bill Hahn was his name, wearing Chuck Taylors and rocking it back then. He's no longer with us, but he was a part of, I think, Drake when they were really good back in the day.
3: Yeah, there's some great history in this league. You you right. look back, you know, Oscar Robinson was playing this league. Yep, you, yep, you know, yep. Cincinnati and the teams that, that were in this league. And you made a great point. And we're seeing this all over the country, realignment of leagues. So this is nothing new. Uh, when I first coached at Northern Iowa, we came in the league. Uh, we were playing – our first game was against Tulsa and Tubby Smith. Yep. Sweet 16 team. Yep. Uh, which we, And we beat them at Tulsa, our opening game of the Valley, and – I tell you, I've got a broadcast Wednesday at you and I, and we're going to have Bob Bowlesby on, who Bob's going to be inducted into the, uh, the Missouri Valley Hall of Fame. He was our athletic director at the time. And uh, there's a lot of pushback when Northern Iowa joined the Valley, that they weren't a strong enough program, and they certainly have proved that wrong. And they've done a great job, the Valley, of picking teams. Look at what Loyola did when they came in. You mentioned Belmont, Murray State. Tremendous tradition and basketball tradition in those schools.
1: Hey, Kevin, I love talking Mo Valley. We shall do that again. But great broadcast the past two Saturdays at the Hallman Center. Continue the great work, and we'll do it again soon. Thank you.
3: Yeah, John. Please keep my number anytime. I love talking hoops with you.
4: You got it. Thank you, Kevin. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta
1: Andy Moran, automotive group hotline, ESPN, ESPN.com. He has been staked out in central Florida for a number of days. Involved in the Pro Bowl festivities, Stephen Holder joins us. So how was your time in central Florida?
6: Oh, man, it was glorious, man. I mean, what? I would say the average temperature, I know, I'm a big weather guy. Um, the average temperature during the week was probably 68. So and and sunny. So I was loving life, man. Um, and uh, yeah, it was good. Um, I, I I guess I I started a, a firestorm unintentionally with Stefan Diggs while I was at it. So well, was, well, wait a um, minute.
1: I'm unaware of the firestorm. I apologize. <laughs> I've had my head in the no, sand. My head say. my head's been in Terre Haute over the weekend. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
6: No, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but. Uh, so, okay, I know this doesn't have anything to do with our show here, but um, but just for the background, so Stephon Diggs, uh, there's been a lot going on with Buffalo this year, right? Um, offense coordinator fired. He drops the big pass in the playoff game on that big deep throw from Josh Allen. You know, they lose to the Chiefs, frustrating, et cetera. He hasn't really talked. Uh, he didn't talk to the media, I don't think, for the last couple weeks and did not talk after the game or or when they cleaned out their lockers. So no one's heard from him. And, you know, there's always, like, a little bit of smoke with him. Like, is he happy? What's going on there? And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, um, what happened in Buffalo this year? You know, are you optimistic about the future, et cetera, et cetera? And gave these, like, really cryptic answers along the lines of, well, you know, um, you know, I, I can't tell the future, man, you know, we'll see. And I said, "Okay, well, like, but but you're ready to you're ready to roll, right? You like you're you're good to go with with the bills and all that." And He's like, "Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be ready to roll no matter what happens." I'm like, "What? Well, what? What? What do you, what do you mean, man?" <laughs> so, anyway, i that's the abbreviated version. So, I write the story and, "Oh boy, I was I was a villain in Western New York." Oh, well, you're trying to start stuff. Actually, I gave this guy every opportunity to like not make this a big deal, and he bent over backwards to say what he had to say. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He's 30 years old, a vet. So, wasn't my fault, man, if anybody's wondering.
1: So, with <laughs> Stefan Diggs, is he at that point now to where the problems that can occur around him are – Certainly a lot more than the production that he can get you game by game. And the I guess the place ultimately he can help a team get to uh, once they right. get into the postseason. Does one side outweigh the other right now?
6: That's a great question. But there, is a, there is a reality in, in this game, right, where, you know, are you worth the trouble? Now, he's not causing a problem here. Let me be clear. Like, I don't think this is a big deal. But at some point, right, you just kind of want, some calm waters. You don't want to have to deal with, you know, is he happy? Is he not happy? You know, those kinds of things. I would say that that becomes a fair question. The older a player gets Uh, Stefan, I think is 30 years old now. Uh, His production maybe wasn't as impressive this year. And I I know that their general manager uh, in Buffalo at the end of the season, um, you know, he was asked about him and, and his defense of Stephon Diggs was that, hey, I still think he's a number one receiver. And it's funny, like that would not have even needed to be said two years ago. Right. So that I thought was kind of interesting. I'm not saying that I believe differently. I just think it's, it's notable that that even his own general manager thought that needed to be said.
1: So, How, yeah. However, I would still take one 107 catches and uh, nearly 1,200 yards and eight oh, TDs. Yeah. I would take it right here in a half a second, right now.
6: Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think some of I think some of by some measures his numbers were down. Overall, still pretty good numbers. Uh, I just think it's it's relative to like what he's done in the past, right? But no, you're not kidding. I mean, the guy is still a highly productive player. Let's be honest. There's probably a very, very, very overwhelming chance he's back in Buffalo next year, and this conversation won't matter. But there are at least there is at least some question mark as to whether he's all in. I mean, he could easily have said, I'm all in, and I love it in Buffalo, and there's really nothing to talk about. And I would have gone off with my tail between my legs. He didn't say that. So that was interesting. So Stephen Holder
1: of ESPN on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So that kind of is – about the question I'm going to ask this time of year or maybe mm-hmm. after the Super Bowl, we start to see some of these wide receivers, right? These guys kind of shake loose from remaining with their team. Things that we would not think, right? I mean, we know some of these guys beforehand like, you know, you knew T. Higgins, for example, is going into free agency. Guys like that that may have availability if their teams don't bring them back, but any disgruntledness like we thought maybe Justin Jefferson would have that in Minnesota I'm talking about among the elite level receivers any disgruntledness out there that maybe a certain indie area team might be able to take advantage of because I have my <laughs> fingers crossed I do
6: I hear that I hear that uh i I think it's probably a little early to know um, we'll see I think who are the guys I guess that are looking for new deals I guess that's that's how you'll know you know um I I don't know of any, of any situations that are brewing, but I also think a lot of times these things sneak up on you. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, You know, there are a lot of times we don't know what's happening behind the scenes until we know, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then suddenly uh, some, some things get leaked and, there starts to be a little buzz. And then next thing you know, someone's on the trading block. I mean, you know, the Russell Wilson situation, uh, not the more recent situation, but uh, when he was traded from Seattle, there was a little bit of that there, right? I, I don't think if I recall correctly, I don't remember thinking, Oh, he's absolutely getting traded this off season. I think it was like some undertone, something might be going on there. And then it went from that to, Oh wait, this is happening. So that happens sometimes, you know, and I just think it really boils down to, you know, whether there's motivation on either side to get to to find a a solution to a problem. But I don't know. I don't. I I still think the likely scenario here is that Michael Pittman's their number one receiver next season, and they move forward there. But but if you're if you're talking about an an outside addition, now keep in mind if you're especially if you're talking about a, a trade situation those guys in those situations often want to get paid too. So you're going to have to pay twice. You know, it's like the DeForest Buckner trade. You you got to give the pick or picks and you got to give the contract. So that gets dicey. I think it can work in certain situations. I thought the DeForest Buckner situation, I mean, that's a, that's one where it's hard to argue that was a bad acquisition, uh, but it doesn't always, it's not always the right move. So I don't know. I know we're talking super hypothetical here, Sure. But but um, I don't know. I guess it, it, it would have to be taken on a case by case basis, based on who we're talking about.
1: You um you brought up Stephon Diggs, uh, and then and Stephen Holder by the way joins us. There was some AJ Brown conversation about his level mm-hmm. of happiness in Philadelphia as well. And I guess the reason why I bring this up is mm-hmm. to quench the thirst that a lot of people, including myself, would have around here. That is basically the only way you're going to see. Um, a wide receiver that we all would love to see around here. If somebody is disgruntled and it just kind of you know, falls in your lap or you're motivated to see it fall yeah. in your lap, because really all other ways, unless you're just simply going to draft somebody in the first round, that's going to be it. That's going to be your avenue.
6: I think that's fair. I, I do think that – I mean, most of these guys we're talking about were drafted pretty high – so that's still the best way to do it, but you'd have to actually draft a receiver in the first round to make that happen. <laughs> so, right. um, and, you know, and, in, in Chris Ballard's history, I don't think there's a whole lot of that. So maybe that's not going to be the case, um, but that's still the best way to do it. Um, going this route, you know, where you have to, you know, somebody falls out of the trees, um they fall out of the trees but they're not cheap either you know so you've got to as I said you got to pay twice I don't know AJ Brown I think everything in Philadelphia nothing in Philadelphia is ever is ever certain and I guess what I mean by that is like they're not afraid to make big moves one way or the other they they traded for him uh they I could see a scenario where if, if there was if if the situation was right, they'd trade him away. Now I don't know anything about what's happening there, but all I'm saying is Philadelphia. I mean, we know this from the Carson Wentz trade. So this is a, I'm just talking in generalities here. Let me be clear. But what we know about the Eagles is that if they think a move makes sense, they will pull the trigger. That is what they do. And, and they have not been hesitant to do that, you know, whether it's coming or going. So, Sure.
1: Who knows? You think uh, in Nick Suriati's uh, an interesting story. You think the the resurfacing, if you will, of those assistants around him, was that a necessity for him, you think, to end up keeping that gig? Is that how tight that may have been with Philly, even after being in the Super Bowl a year ago, but having this tremendous letdown at the end of this year? Was that kind of one of the gives and takes here of him remaining as the head coach?
6: It's it, not necessarily, I, I, but I would say this: I, I do think that at minimum, he's on a very hot seat next year. So you've got to set yourself up for success in 2024 because what just happened can't happen again. That just that is very clear. It cannot happen again. Um, you know things are hot down there, uh, up there, because you know, like for example, I, I tried to talk to Jalen Hurts this week. I and mean, Lots of people wanted to talk to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was very clear. I ain't talking because he knows <laughs> yeah. it's was a pretty volatile situation there. And he knows anything he says, it's going to be a headline and things are, things are really dicey there. Right. And there's a lot of pressure on everybody in that situation, the quarterback, the coach, everybody. So to your question, standing in place and standing Pat was not an option, whether, whether his neck was on the line right now, which I don't know to be the case, or whether we're talking about him being on the hot seat next year, you have to set things in motion now to have success later on. Uh, That offensive coordinator situation was not sustainable. It absolutely wasn't. And they had to do what they had to do. We'll see. I I would say this. If it doesn't work well, if it doesn't work out for him next season, it's going to be on Nick. There's no doubt about it. And I like Nick a lot, uh, but it's going to be on him. There's no doubt about it. Um, they're not going to abide two years in a row with very subpar results in that town. Yeah,
1: well, it's it's that too, and then his personality, man. It, when when you're going, yeah, you know, everybody's on board with it, but when you're not, everybody's going to pick you apart because of that. So it's, that plays a, a significant point. role too.
6: It's a great point, point. and I I think I've said this to you before. Uh, Nick is a is the perfect coach, or was the perfect coach for where they were. The year before, you know, in fact, even two years ago, when they were um, when they were, I think the wild card team, the, the, his first year, he was actually a good fit because that team had some veterans. They had a lot of talent. Uh, they, it was just a matter of like Jalen Hurts was still growing into that role and the needed time. But once they really got rolling the next year, I mean, they had swagger and that was a perfect fit for Sirianni. But I agree, not every coach is good for every situation. I don't think there's some kind of rebuilding team, so I don't think that, you know, he's necessarily a bad fit, Sirianni. But but if the results don't come, his approach is is not exactly, perhaps, not the exact right approach, you know, just because this that's just how it works, you know. Um, it's like Frank Reich. I felt like Frank Reich was the perfect coach, when he was the perfect coach, <laughs> and then over time, situation changed, and and maybe his personality wasn't the right personality for what they needed at that time, you know. And and as situations evolve, coaches' approaches have to evolve. So we'll see if if Nick can do that if necessary.
1: He is Stephen Holder of ESPN. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So you think wide receiver? could be a, considering the coach, considering the quarterback who's going through another rookie season reboot, is wide receiver that first round choice, or do they have more, you think, once we get there, coming up at the end of Mar, or I should say at the uh, end of April here, they have other priorities that you think of need that they would go round number one, or is this the year they do go wide receiver there?
6: I, I would hope this may not be a popular answer or, or one that people want to hear, but I, I really do hope and think they should take the approach of do what makes sense. And, and really on what I'm saying is best player available to, to a degree, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying take a, you know, I'm not saying take a, a left guard if he's the best player, but you know, within reason, best player available. And here's why, because, I while I do think they could use another weapon, I don't necessarily think it has to be in the first round. I mean, the Josh Downs example last year, I think is a good one. Now, I'm not saying you get another guy of that profile, but my point is if, if you do your due diligence, there's no reason you can't come away with a good prospect in the second round. Really what I think they need there is, I mean, if Michael Pittman is going to be their number one receiver and that may be, I, I think that is still workable. What I think you need is you need a, a really good Batman, if he's, if he's going to be, I'm sorry, a really good Robin, if, if Michael Pittman is going to be your Batman, then the Robin has to be like a dude, like kind of on the same level, frankly. But I think if you, if you don't have Tyree kill, if you don't have, you know, that super elite guy who is clearly head and shoulders above everybody else, then what if you had, you know, two guys of the next tier, you know what I'm saying? And I think Michael Pittman's down whatever tier that is after that. So if you had two of those, that's workable. So I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is you can find that. I mean, Michael Pittman was a second-round pick, you know? So you can find that uh, late, se- late first round, second round. It's possible. Um, you know, T. Higgins, for example, second-round pick. Like Those guys are out there. And I, uh, I don't know how deep that position is going to be this year. But it does sound like there are some options. So I, I really do think this team is in a place where they have, I don't want to use the word luxury, but they're in a position where they just need talent. Just keep building talent all around, and they're going to be okay. I, re- I really do believe that. I do think they should address wide receiver. I just don't think you have to do it in the first round if you resign Michael Pittman.
1: So coming off his rookie season, this team was incredibly excited about number 80. And then Jelani Woods didn't play a moment this particular year. Where is the level of interest and thought and and what they believe Jelani Woods could give them this offseason compared to how they thought about him last offseason?
6: That was one of the most disappointing situations, I thought, with the entire roster this year, just because of, of where – the hope was in terms of of what he could be because they had very high hopes for him. I think they were justified too. Um, It didn't work out. And and we didn't know what was going on because Shane Steichen is just, you know, he's so forthcoming with injury information, as you know, but tells you everything, right? Everything you need to know. (laughs) Exactly. I, I, I admit to feeling a little bit guilty about, how I viewed that situation, because I just wondered like, all right, is this kid soft or what's going on with him? As it turns out, like there wasn't really a a handle on, on his injury and there wasn't really a a realization of what was going on with him physiologically. Uh, He had sort of a muscular imbalance that they had to work on and he's got to get a certain type of um, rehab to to address this. It's, it can be done. It's just they weren't doing it because there wasn't an understanding of what was wrong with him. So now that they've got a handle on it, there's a good chance he's going to be just fine and they can get him back on track. But that realization didn't come until too late in the season. And he ended up re-injuring it uh, as he was getting close to coming back. So I guess what I'm saying is if, if they get him right, there's no reason he can't pick up where he left off. Look, he didn't tear his ACL. You know, he didn't, uh, he didn't have some kind of career-threatening injury. He should be okay. As long as they address this and manage it and just prevent him from, from having these recurring hamstring issues, he should be fine. And if that turns out to be the case, I don't see any reason for any lower level of optimism of, of what he can be. He still has to do it. He has to prove it. He has to be consistent, but the flashes are the flashes. We saw them. And I think particularly with uh, a quarterback like like Anthony Richardson who will give him some shots down the field, I think that's a good mix, those two guys. That's a good combination. And I, I feel pretty bullish about Jelani Woods. So
1: in, in closing here regarding Jelani Woods, I was, I was told that it was the lack of offseason preparation – to put it lightly. Others have told me that's inaccurate. It was because he worked on his, his body and it was about preparing for that second season for him. That ended up, he acquired, obviously, that injury. What was it? What have you heard it was?
6: I have not heard that it was the, the, the former in terms of uh, a lack of preparation. I don't know that to be the case. I I do think that some of this was beyond his control. And there was just, uh, like, like I said, just an, a lack of understanding about what was going on with him. It's kind of I I don't want to say it's an anomaly. It's very hard to explain. He did a good job of explaining it, but I'm stupid and I can't explain it properly. <laughs> but but the, the point is, I do think my understanding of it is that this was largely beyond his control. Uh, that there just wasn't an understanding of why he kept having this recurring issue And so once they gained an understanding of it, they were able to uh, rehab it appropriately. And and at that point, he started to see progress. But but again, it was late in the season, and uh, it was too late to come back at that point. So if that's the case, I don't put it on him. I just think, you know, he got a bad break, bad situation, and um, I don't know that anybody's truly at fault. So, um, how many uh,
1: people out there are going to, um, in their own minds, allow Taylor Swift to ruin the Super Bowl? Can you believe we live in a world like this? That's incredible. I, I mean, absolutely incredible to me. So she's not a government asset. I just is that what, you're what the hell's happening here? <laughs> I, I mean, I know, I know we live in a world that we now know <laughs> because of social media, and this world is much oh, tighter man. now. We know everything because of technology. We know that the jackasses outnumber
6: us now but are we going
1: we going to allow this to happen play such a role as it sounds like
6: we are look i i don't i think it's going to be pretty unavoidable this week because the internet, you know, everybody has a voice on the internet. It's a meritocracy, right? So, <laughs> uh, not even no, it's not a meritocracy. I it's, loved uh, it when
1: we didn't know that we were so full of chalk, full of jackasses. I love that. Right. I want to go <laughs> back
6: to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to avoid it this week. But I, I, it is. I just look at it as a, for for what it's worth, which is a good laugh. That's what it is. But but unfortunately, the people you're talking about, for them, it's not a laughing matter. Look, she's going to be on camera. She's going to be at the game. And so what? Guess what? I, I'm going to have fun at my Super Bowl party. I'm going to eat and drink, and I'm going to enjoy the game. And those six or seven shots of Taylor Taylor Swift, I, I don't think we're going to be talking about those on Monday morning. We're going to be talking about... Did you see what Patrick Mahomes did? Did you see what Debo Samuel did? Did you see this? I mean, right? I mean, like, why does this even matter? Do you see know. how
1: far away the Colts are? Yes. Or that? Still. Yeah.
6: <laughs> right. So things yeah, are more know, important. Man. It's going to be yeah. interesting, though, for sure. You're yeah. going to get a, you're going to get a big dose of it. No doubt about that.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate I you. Crazy. Yeah, no doubt about <laughs> that. I, I appreciate you more than you know. We'll do it again next week and see what happens in that Super Bowl and see which storyline outweighs the other. Right. All right, my friend. Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy at Floors
0: to Your Home, right, Brian Khan? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just eighty. A square foot. 80 cents a square foot? That's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and
6: Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floor's your home. That's who.